0: January 10th, 2023. It's a special day for me. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. I have no guests today. It's just me talking to you, my fabulous listeners. I appreciate you chiming in every week and hearing what I have to say with some really incredible people. It's such a privilege to be able to do so. But 27 years ago today, on January 10th, 1996. Remember that? Remember the 90s? That was the day I had brain surgery to remove the, um, the biological shitness that was um, catastrophizing me. The brain tumor, the malignant brain tumor lingering in my cerebellum since I was born. A congenital primary neuroendocrine tumor called a medulloblastoma. 27 fucking years ago. It, it's it's hard to process. It's kind of one of those things where, um, you know, I, I can't forget this day, but I, I forget that it's coming. And I guess that's a good thing to to realize. You know, life gets in the way and <laughs> you kind of know life gets back to whatever normal means when you, you get angry at FedEx for... Dropping your package of outside your building instead of inside your lobby. Little things like that. When the first world problems start to repervade pervade your life, you kind of know that maybe you've made it. Maybe you're out. Maybe the scanziates and the lingering side effects, you know, the, the gift that keeps on giving kind of shit 27 years later. They're good problems to have. So let, let's go back to the summer of 95. I was, um, many of you know this, I, I was a pianist. I was trained for 10 years, concert pianist, jazz pianist, film scores, musical theater. And uh, I had hopes to to be a film composer. I applied to a USC film school and all that fabulous stuff. I went on tours there in the fall of 96. But what happened was, (laughs) you know, we talk about prevention, early detection, self-awareness. You know, you're 21, you're a fucking idiot, which is good. You're supposed to be a fucking idiot at 21. Live your life, take risks, do whatever you want. You're invincible. Enjoy it. Youth is totally wasted on the young, and I'm old enough now to get away with saying that. So I got back to school, and uh, you know, I was off for the summer, and you know, I didn't play that much. I got back to school and just started rehearsing again. I, I noticed that um, I couldn't arpeggiate. My my left hand just couldn't run up the keys as quickly as it used to back in May or June. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. I'll just practice harder. And the harder I practiced, the harder it got to arpeggiate. It was my um my left hand only, not my right hand. I I, I felt like a like a creative paraplegic. My, my brain worked, my right hand worked, my left hand just couldn't play the notes. You know, and and you know, long story short, went to the doctors, was misdiagnosed, yada yada yada, carpal tunnel, Epstein barr meningitis, a mini stroke. Yeah, anything that wasn't what it was, but you know, who thinks? That a 21 year old has brain cancer. I don't really fault the system for that. Not not to mention the fact that th- this is an odd symptom. You, how many concert get brain cancer? And and their symptom is that they can't arpeggiate. It's the least likely thing you could connect the dots for. And yet, once I started like slurring my speech and fainting and being dizzy and having these crippling headaches after three months of, uh, you know, get over it. That's when I was uh, really taken seriously. I came home for Thanksgiving break and saw my general doctor who said, oh, boy, <laughs> this is something real. Go see a neurologist. And again, in my in my my utter naive, you know, uh, you know, just uh, I- immortality complex, it's like, well, I, I don't have time for this. I got to go back to school. I have two shows to produce and some finals to take. Can I just come back in mid-December? You know, famous last words because that's when everything just came crashing down and I finally— did make it home my dad had to come pick me up at college and my my brother drove my truck back so two people (laughs) helped me leave college in december and i finally saw the neurologist and i had an mri and all right here's a 80s gen x throwback so i went out to see the uh radiologist for an mri with my mom in the morning of one of the days in in late december you know took the scans And, uh, you know, we went out to lunch afterwards, and then we got home, and da-da-dum, there was a message, a blinking light on the answering machine. Who knows what an answering machine is? Raise your hand if you were born in the 70s and early 80s. Needless to say, who who, who could be calling us at 1 p.m. in the afternoon? And, of course, it was the radiology clinic and said, get your ass back here. Something weird. We want to do some more tests. And turns out I had to see the neurosurgeon at the hospital. This was, a, this was um, Staten Island University Hospital, which at the time I wouldn't have my toenails clipped. But it turns out that the chief of neurosurgery had just come there from Sloan Kettering. So, you know, who can argue with having the, uh, one of the world's leading neurosurgeons there for you, just happening to be there? So we met with him. It was an Orthodox Jew, met us on a Friday night, took off Shabbos. What a mensch. Explained everything. There's a mass in your brain, we don't know what it is, it might be this, it might be that, but you need surgery. And sure enough, on January 10th, 1996, the day after the storm of the century in New York City, timing was not really on our side that, uh, that January but you know, needless to say, we had a four-wheel drive vehicle, one of the real four-wheel drives, like the 1990s four-wheel drive vehicles, with the, with the thing that shifts from high to low and 4H and 4D and 4L. Car nerds know what I'm talking about. Got us through the snow. We followed the plows to the hospital, and off I went to have brain surgery, an eight-hour surgery to remove this god-awful, satanic piece of biology inside my cerebellum. 27 fucking years ago. So, I want to pause for a moment and share a quick story at this moment of my story, which is that you know, all I cared about was I wanted to play piano again. Doctors like uh, you know, let let's get you through this. Let's see what happens in 6 months. I'm like, "Dude, I got to go back to school. I got to graduate. I got to go to grad school. I, I need to play again. I can't play. What do I do?" And, you know, it's not like there was intentional apathy, but my neurosurgeon was fantastic. It really was the doctors at Sloan were, you know, just emotionally barren, and they were very statistical. And maybe that's what life was back then, but what's interesting about my surgery was that I was in the hospital for about 10 days. And that period of time was the longest I'd ever gone not playing the piano. So I came home, I think, on the 17th or the 18th of January, and the first thing I did was walk over to that piano in the living room of my parents' house, sit down, and see if my left hand would function. And sure enough, it did. It it worked. I could arpeggiate, but there was a bit of an asterisk there. Having had my left hand compromised for so many months, I'd lost all the muscle memory. So I could kind of bang, (laughs) you know, if you know, it's just like banging stuff. I couldn't play quickly. I couldn't play. But it was that day that a melody struck me. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, as I rehabbed myself between then and when radiation started and all that crap, I wrote a song in my head that I wrote down on sheet music, but I was a lefty and my left hand didn't work. So I wrote it down with my right hand, and it looked like hieroglyphics, just scribbling shit down. And that song wound up becoming uh, a song called Simplicity. And I want to play that song for you right now because I think it's just telling how in a sea of chaos, if you happen to be lucky enough, have an anchor, a handrail, something that maintains some level of meaning to you and your identity, I was lucky enough to have that. So without further ado, here's Simplicity. It's just bizarre. It it's it's surreal. How the hell am I still alive? And then of course there's the there's the guilt. I've been doing this as many of you know for over 20 years. And how many people have died on my watch? How many friends didn't make it? How many people just they're not here anymore. And it's it's not okay. And it's a terrible privilege to still be here working on behalf of the cancer community and all the patients in this country getting fucked by healthcare. So, like I said, no guests today, just a little reflection, a little gratitude, and you know, some perspective on how are we alive? What do we do with the time we have? How do we look back and realize how far we've come and memorialize the people in our lives who are no longer with us? I have one specific person I'd like to point out on this show. When I met my wife in the summer of 2000, you know, our first date was, um, I think, June 4th. No, she's going to kill me. I think it was July 4th or July 2nd. Uh, uh, she, might, <laughs> she might not be listening. I, I met her, and she had a brother who was in cancer treatment for urine sarcoma. He was, I think, 16 at the time. And he died in 2003. He was 19 years old. His name was Carl Feldman. My son, Kobe, is named after him. He was a great kid. Got to know him for three straight years. A a real take-no-shit, take-no-prisoners kind of kid. And um, we miss him terribly. And it's hard to make, like, your master list of people who've died over the last 25 years that you've just—you're still here, and how the hell is that possible? But Carl Feldman, particularly my late brother-in-law, we miss you. We love you. Again, I don't, I don't know how I'm here, but I'm here for you, for this country, for patients all around the world. It's a privilege. It's an honor to wake up every day, as my dad would say, above the grass. And you never know what's coming down the pipe. So you got to live every day, somehow, get through it. I'd like to share one more song that I wrote. I wound up writing like 51 songs in the years between my surgery and my five-year cancerversary. 51 original piano compositions, all inspired by what the fuck I just went through. Utterly ridiculous, nonsensical shenanigans. But there was one particular song that I wrote that was different and it happened to be the very first composition that came out of my brain that had nothing to do with cancer i didn't realize this at the, at the time of writing it but it was just very authentic and organic and a little humble brag i guess from my own ego that i had i had reclaimed what Cancer took away from my left hand. I had rehabilitated myself. Just a sidebar. You'd think that back then, the concert pianist who couldn't play would be given some kind of PT. Nope. So I did it myself, and I wrote a song called Autumn Drive. Just inspired by being on the road, driving through this wooded little road in um, in Jersey. So this is my reclamation. My recompense, autumn drive. And with that, just another note of gratitude and thank you to all of you for supporting me, for being part of my tribe, and for listening. 27 fucking years later, January 10th, 2023, a day I never thought I'd see. And yet, here we are. Happy New Year. God bless. Godspeed. More to come. Stay thirsty, my friends. Music